The scripture reading this morning is from uh, 1 Corinthians three, ten through 17. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and with fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. If you haven't already, please do find 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning at verse 7 in your Bibles, so you can follow along during the sermon. The sermon will be better if you follow along in your Bible. You'll be able to follow better. You'll get more out of it. Before we begin to unwrap this passage and lay it out and look at it, let's pray together and ask for God's help. Would you bow with me? Father, please speak to us now. Please speak to us plainly and clearly. Help us to receive your word and embrace it and respond to it. Let it change our hearts and our minds and how we think and how we live. We trust you for all these things and we recognize that all these things are the things of miracles. These are the things that we rely on you and your Holy Spirit and your word for. So we look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I want you to imagine that you're at your desk or whatever it looks like when you're at work. You're at your desk. It's a normal day. Or maybe you're in your car driving. Or maybe you're at home on just an average day. Or some of you on a school bus driving kids or in a school atmosphere. All of a sudden, all the natural light from outside goes dark. In the middle of the day. And your ears are filled with the sound of this mighty cosmic roar. And everything stops. All the work stops. All the cars stop. Everything stops. And everybody goes outside to see what in the world is going on. And all of a sudden they're almost blinded by this glorious light. As Jesus Christ returns. 1 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be turned, I'm sorry, will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I want us to look at our lives in light of that day this morning. 
Look at the things that you're worried about, concerned about, the things you're applying your energy to, your resources to, in light of that day, the day that Jesus Christ returns. What in those moments will seem important? What in those moments will seem valuable? What are we fretting about and worrying about now that will be a distant memory in those moments? What are we valuing and worshiping and loving and giving our lives to now that will just seem like momentary nothingness, emptiness in that moment? See, I'm taking you through this exercise because I have kind of a hard task today. I have a sermon to preach to you about the church. And for me, that seems immediately relevant because I think about the church all the time, obviously because I'm a pastor. But I recognize that many of you may be tired. Many of you may be stressed out. Many of you may have a lot of concerns about your practical everyday life that will make it difficult for you to see the value in a sermon about the church. It's hard to see beyond the details of today to the glories of the day when Jesus Christ returns. But that's a big part of my job every week is for all, to try to get all of us to look up from our week of looking down in the weeds of just trying to survive. But there's glories up there and over there that we need to look at and behold this morning. And as we do, it will make everything today make more sense and be more bearable. So this sermon about the church is really a sermon about you and the things that will be important and valuable on that day. Because what you build in your career or in your biological family or with your hobbies will not stand in that day unless they are expressions of you being and building the church. Worshiping and trusting God, building up your brothers and sisters in Christ, evangelizing, making disciples of all nations. See, in that day, everything will burn away, except for those things that are eternal. Our home and workplaces are contexts in which we are meant to live out our faith and our worship and our trust in the Lord and our love for people and our mandate to serve. Work and home is not, a, it's not good in of itself. It's just a context for us to live out these things. Our relationships are contexts for us to be intentional about serving and evangelizing and making disciples. So, I'm going to preach to you a sermon about the church from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. The big idea is, let's be careful where and how we build the church. Let's be careful where and how we build the church. First, let's be careful where we build our lives, and our church. Look at verses 10 through 11. According to the grace of God given to me, that's Paul writing. If you'll remember, we're reading a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in a city called Corinth. And they're a mess. And they're divided into these little fan clubs based on who they think is the best teacher. And Paul is trying to get them to unite by reminding them what the church is. And so last week we looked at an agricultural analogy to understand what the church is. This week we're going to look at an architectural analogy 
to understand what the church is. So he writes, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, I brought a visual. I, I very rarely bring visuals for illustrations. But I had Eli, my son Elias help me. Oops. Create this visual aid. So this gray square, have any of you seen, you have kids, grandkids with Legos, familiar with these gray squares? How much would you think this gray square would cost? Somebody throw out a figure, what would you think it would cost to get this, this thin gray square of plastic? Okay, well, it's $15, which I thought was crazy. But man, is it worth it if your children are into Legos. Because what you get in this, this thin gray square is a foundation. And so they can build. Otherwise, they're building on carpet, carpet or on a book or on the floor, and they can't make anything that's going to last. So Paul here is saying, I came to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, just nothing else. I didn't even preach that in a fancy way. I just gave you the good news that if you will trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved and forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God. And in doing that, he planted this church in Corinth and he laid this foundation. And then other people are building on it. Apollos, for instance, the gifted teacher that many of the Corinthians loved so much, they're building on it. And Paul's saying, that's good, that's great. You don't have to choose between loyalty to me who laid the foundation and loyalty to Apollos who's building on it. It's great, we work together. But the big idea here in these verses is the building of our lives and of our church has to be on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because one day Jesus Christ is going to return. And when he returns, it's like he, he lifts the foundation up. And only the stuff that's built on the foundation will last. And everything else will be gone and dissolved. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is always laying this foundation. If you read his letters, he wrote the, the most books in the New Testament. He wrote a ton of letters to churches and even some pastors. And if you read them, you'll notice often the first almost half of the letter is just him making sure that their foundation is in good shape. Often the first half of the letter is just all about Jesus Christ, reminding them of Jesus Christ, making sure that they're standing together on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians alone, if you just look at the first nine verses, you'll see him say, I'm writing to you in the name of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to you who are in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to you and reminding you that you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are called by Christ Jesus. You're calling on Christ Jesus. You're recipients of grace in Christ Jesus. You are gifted to serve as part of the church in Christ Jesus. We're all waiting together for Christ Jesus to return. 
And we will be sustained guiltless by Christ Jesus. All that's just in the first nine verses. You can go and look this afternoon at how rich it is with him making sure the foundation is secure. Jesus Christ alone is where we must build our lives and our church or else it will dissolve in the last day. So this means two things. That's not going to stay right there. I will preach on this foundation. All true growth must build on this foundation. This means that any true Christian growth for us as individuals must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it means that any church growth that we will build must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. So let's look at that first point. True Christian growth builds on Jesus. Where are you in your faith right now, in your walk with Christ? If we were to have a one-on-one lunch this afternoon, and I just started asking you these questions, how would you answer? Where's your faith right now? How's your walk with Christ? How can you grow as a Christian? How can you move forward deepening your faith? Further freed from sin. Further freed from the tyranny of yourself to be selfless and live the way God intended. How can you develop a heart that genuinely wants to worship and love and serve and trust God? How can you develop real practical daily holiness in your life? How can you develop a heart that really loves the people around you and genuinely wants to serve them and make disciples of all nations? How can you develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love and joy and peace and so on. How can you grow in your spiritual gifts to be able to serve as part of the church and become a vital, thriving member of the church? All of that comes only by placing your faith more deeply in Jesus Christ and following him more seriously as your Lord. There is no growth like that apart from from that foundation. Unless it starts here, it doesn't stand. Good deeds to try to soothe your conscience won't stand in the final day. Only those done based on the fact that you are forgiven in Christ and have a God that you want to honor will stand. Listening to Caleb, attending church, these do not amass good deeds that please God unless... They're based on this foundation of trusting and following Jesus Christ. And that's the motivation. So God created everything, and it was good. And he created mankind, and we had freedom to choose if we were going to worship and honor him or not. And starting with Adam, we've all chosen badly. We've all chosen to disregard God and turn against him and live lives of selfishness and sin. But God, in his great mercy did not just crush us, but instead came to save us in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we have failed to live and died the death that we deserve. So thanks to this gift of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven, cleansed, reconciled and reunited with our God, who, for whom we were, used to be enemies. Now, not only is there a truce, but he wants to adopt us as his sons. He wants us to be his and his family. And this is the good news of the gospel. 
And my question for you, and I've got to ask you this often, are you trusting in that and that alone in Jesus Christ for your salvation, for your identity, for your relationship with God, for your security in this world? If you're trusting in anything else for these fundamental things for your life, I want to invite you to come and start building on the foundation. See, Jesus not only died for our sins, he also arose from the grave and he's alive. And he is the rightful Lord of of everyone, the king. And so part of being a Christian is, is trusting him for salvation, but also following him as your Lord. And so I need to ask you, are you following Jesus Christ as your Lord? Are you building your life based on what he has said and taught? Because he said that if you listen to his words and respond and build your life on this, it's like building your life on a rock. And even when the winds blow, you'll be secure. Have you repented of your sins and entrusted yourself to God through Jesus Christ? It all, all starts there. You cannot skip that step. And so I have to bring you back to it regularly and remind you of it and call out to you for it. And if you're uncomfortable with it, that you feel like, I don't know. Maybe I've just been going to church. I don't know if I really am trusting in Christ for forgiveness and following him as my Lord. I want you to make a note on your bulletin somewhere so you do not forget. If we can't talk after the service this Sunday, let's talk this week. That's what I'm here for, to help you make sure you know. So all Christian growth builds on Jesus. All true church growth builds on Jesus as well. How can we grow our church, Doolin's Grove? Wouldn't y'all love to see all the pews filled up? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't y'all love to see our church just full and overflowing with vibrant, real believers, really growing in their faith and making disciples? Wouldn't you love the baptistry to just be full every Sunday because we're baptizing so many people? How can we do that? There's only one place we can stand to work toward that, and that is on Jesus Christ. Really, the only way to truly build a church is through evangelism and discipleship. Calling people to trust and faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other program other than the people of the church taking the gospel to the people of their community. Building on anything else is false and will not last. There's a church I know, and I know it because I listened to the pastor of that church on podcast, and I read his books. He, his church grew By the thousands, thousands and thousands of people, multiple campuses all over the place, huge traffic through their website, huge ratings on their podcast. They grew so big that they were able to develop a training school for people that wanted to become pastors. They grew so big that they were able to develop their own publishing. They published books under their own publishing company. They grew so big that they were able to release music under their own label. Okay, this was a massive enterprise. They grew so big that they were able to host conferences with the biggest named speakers you can imagine in the Christian world. And all of it disappeared practically in an instant. 
it was shocking how fast it disappeared. Due to the fact that the lead pastor, the charismatic, amazing teaching lead pastor, had some very deep character flaws. I don't know the man, and I'm not here to judge the man, but you cannot deny how shocking it was that once he left, that whole empire vanished like a vapor, like a mist, like it was never real to begin with. Now, surely there were Christians there who then filtered into other churches and that that work continues. But that church, by that name, gone. Because I believe, I fear, that it was built on the personality of a leader. And so once he was gone, the church was gone. Now, that can happen in many different ways. You can try to build a personality-founded church, or you can try to build a program-founded church. But once those personalities or those programs are gone, the church will be gone. That's why we want to build a Jesus Christ-founded church. I don't want you here for any other reason than Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to bring anyone here for any reason other than Jesus Christ. Because as good as it may make us feel to have some more people, unless it's built on Jesus Christ, it's empty, vain, hollow. And when he returns and lifts up his church, it will not be lifted with it. So how can we grow our church? I really believe it can only happen through evangelism and discipleship. Now, I know that's something that many are not comfortable with, especially evangelism. You know, it seems like something that the more mature Christians ought to do or the professionally trained Christians ought to do. But that's really not the case. The Lord created his church so that everyone in the church can take part in making disciples of all nations. If you want a way to start, I'll give you one really good first step, and that's to come to our Sunday morning prayer meeting, where that's what we pray about. We try really hard during that 30 minutes to, we share briefly any opportunities or or people that we want to see come to Christ, and then we just pray for them. We pray for God to save them. We pray for God to open up doors of opportunity for us to share the gospel. We pray for God to uh, send other Christians around these people with the gospel. We pray for boldness so that we would be fearless to speak the gospel. We pray for the words to say. So if you don't know where to start, just start there and come and pray with us. Because somebody coming to church is something that we can bring about. But somebody coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ is something that we cannot bring about. It is supernatural. It is miraculous. It's the spiritually dead coming to life. So we have to pray. It has to start there. Can I share that story about the mailbox? Richard? Doris? Would it be okay? Okay, just this morning in our prayer meeting, um, as we're talking about who we'd like to pray for, uh, Lowry's told a story of someone who hit their mailbox in their car. And this became for them an opportunity for the gospel. And so this guy that hit their mailbox with their car is coming over for a cookout Saturday with the hopes that they can share the gospel with him and and nudge him toward Christ wherever he may be with Christ. 
Now, that's an opportunity that many of us would just let go by. But if we're praying for it, if we're looking for it as a church, you will see every day yields many of these opportunities. I got this list from a book I was reading this week about just everyday evangelism that's available to all of us. One, eating with non-Christians. You know, we all eat three meals a day. We can use some of those meals to eat with non-Christians. Use your lunch break to eat with non-Christians in the hope of developing a relationship with them and nudging them toward Christ. Arrange our routines to be around non-Christians. If you see that you're in this Christian bubble and you never even rub elbows with people that don't know Christ, maybe figure out a way to rearrange that routine so that you do, so that you can develop evangelistic, discipling relationships. This is one I sort of changed to fit our context, but maybe instead of walking around the church circle, walk in our neighborhood back here, and you'll start meeting people because you're out, and they're out, and you don't know what opportunities may come. Become a regular wherever you go for coffee or for lunch or to get your hair cut. Instead of going to a bunch of different places, go to one place regularly and develop relationships with the staff there and the people who frequent there. I've had many opportunities to share the gospel just by asking a waiter or waitress, you know, I'm about to pray over my meals or any way I can pray for you today. And you'd be amazed at how often people will just, just open right up right there at Shomars or wherever and just tell you everything. And it opens up all kinds of doors to talk about the gospel in just natural ways. Just a guy talking to a guy about life. And my worldview is that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord and all the things you're looking for are found in him. It's just a natural conversation, not some formula that I follow or anything like that. Talk to your coworkers. Use your hobbies to get to know non-Christians. Participate in community activities. Serve your neighbors. You know, one of your best tools is just questions. It's your eyes genuinely seeing the people around you, your heart genuinely loving them. And so you just ask them questions about their life, about your weekend, about your family. Why do you believe that? How did you grow up? Did you, I'm a church person. Did you grow up in church? Why not? Or why'd you leave? Or what do you think about that? It it just, it gets there. It gets toward gospel things if we're intentional. Yeah, I really believe if we develop a culture of just everyday evangelism and discipleship, church growth will not even be a topic. It'll just happen. Maybe Doolin's Grove won't be huge. That'd be fine, so long as the kingdom of God is growing. Maybe your coworker lives on the other side of town, so you want him to be uh, coming to Christ and getting ingrained in a healthy church near him. That's good. I've told you before, if you want to go with him to visit that church to help get him ingrained there, I support that. Gospel intentionality. Having a higher purpose for our relationships. These are the things. These are the ways we build our lives in our church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So let's be careful to build upon the one true foundation of Jesus Christ. Are you building your life on Jesus Christ? And are you helping to build our church on Jesus Christ? Let's be careful where we build, and let's be careful how we build. 
Look at verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because we will, it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Remember the three little pigs story? One of the pigs built a house out of um, straw. One built a house out of sticks. The other built a house out of bricks. And the big bad wolf came and huffed and puffed and he blew down the straw house and the stick house, but he couldn't blow down the brick house. See, when Christ returns, there will be this this wind of flames that will, will burn up and will test everything we've done in our lives as by fire. And everything built out of straw and sticks will be burned up, will be gone. And only that which was built out of gold and precious stones and silver will remain. So there's different ways to build our lives in our church. Some are good and some are bad. Paul talks about this a little bit further on in chapter 4, verse 5. In that, ver- in that verse, he reveals that when the Lord comes, he will bring to light things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So I believe what he's referring to in our main passage is that our motives will be exposed. The purposes of our heart will be exposed. Our motives matter. Our efforts to build our lives in our church are composed of the raw materials of our motives. And when Jesus returns, those will be revealed for what they are. So I think there's two types of people in most churches and in our church too. They're the type that are building their lives on Jesus Christ, and they're the types that are building their lives beside Jesus Christ. The type who are building their lives on Jesus Christ are living a life of repentance and faith in him for salvation and for life itself. And in their hearts, they find growing genuine love for God and genuine love for people, genuine desire to be a part of making disciples. The other folks are building their lives beside Jesus Christ, They may get some second-hand holiness from the people who are building their lives on Jesus Christ, but in their hearts, there is no love for God growing, and there is no love for people growing, and there is no growing freedom from sin, and there is no growing freedom from worry because of their faith. And they're living hollow-shell church lives that look good on the outside but are empty on the inside. I really don't want any of you to be that type of person. I want us all to be building our lives on Jesus Christ. Because right ministry with wrong motives is worthless. That's basically what this passage teaches. Right ministry with wrong motives is worthless. And we know that intuitively. If someone gives you a birthday gift and you know, you can see in their face that they're giving you that gift because they love you and they sincerely want to show you how much they love you and they hope you have a great birthday because you mean so much to them, even if it's just a little trinket, that gift is going to mean a lot. 
Now, if somebody else comes and gives you a $100 gift card to Starbucks and says, here, it's your birthday, I didn't want to hear you griping at me. Now, that's a much more expensive gift, but it doesn't mean anything. And it's the same way with ministry. Our motives matter. This is what God is going to be inspecting when he returns in Jesus Christ. It's not so much about what you did, it's about why you did. The why behind our activities as a church and as a Christian people will determine the value of the what in our activities as a church and as Christian people. Did you, Matt Broadway, did you preach every week because you love me? Or because you love the praise of man and you thought if you did a good job, you'd get some pats on the back and some recognition? Did you volunteer because you love people? Or were you trying to soothe your troubled conscience in some other way other than trusting in my son, Jesus Christ? Did you study your Bible and read these books and learn so much because you wanted to grow to know my glory glory more and be better able to help others get to know me through discipleship? Or were you just puffing yourself up with pride in your own knowledge? Did you attend church as an expression of worship or was it just some religious duty? Did you pray because you wanted to commune with me and you knew that I was the only one that could help you and it was an expression of trust in me or was it religious ritual? Did you serve as a deacon or in the music team or uh, contributing meals or as a trustee or whatever as an expression of your love for your brothers and sisters in the church? Or was it just to enhance your own security in knowing that you were needed? Our motives matter, and they will be revealed in the end. We want to build our lives and our church out of gold and silver and precious stones of genuine worship and love and faith. We don't want to build out of wood and hay and straw of selfishness and pride and hypocrisy and fear. Because God, he wants you. He wants your heart. He doesn't just want what you can produce for him. He really loves you. He really wants you. Not just what you can produce for him. Jesus is going to return. And the message for us today is to live in light of that day. The day. To be and build our lives, and the church together on the foundation of Jesus Christ with right motives in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and love and forgiveness toward us because I know we have failed in so many of these ways. I know our motives are always compromised. My motive right now during this sermon, I'm sure, is compromised by sin. So, Father, I just ask in Jesus' name, for your forgiveness and that you would help us all. Help us all to shift more and more of our lives and our hearts onto the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would develop among us an evangelistic culture, that we'd be sharing the gospel every day this week, and that you would build up your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.